Jubilee is a word that has a nice ring to it. Buildings are named after it. Have you heard of Jubilee House? Just recently our agriculture minister has renamed the civil service building in Ballykelly Jubilee House. There are places named after it. Schools, for example, just a few miles up the road, Brady Jubilee Primary School, as far as I am aware, it was named uh, when the school was opened uh, in the year 2002, which was the year of Her Majesty's Golden Golden Jubilee. Uh, I wonder, are you aware that in Belfast there is a park called Jubilee Park? Train stations. Have you ever travelled on the London Underground and gone on the Jubilee Line? But Jubilee is a Bible word. It's a word that actually comes from the Scriptures. The first reference to it is found in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 9. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee... To sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, in the day of atonement, shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And the words from that text are actually imprinted on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. If you've ever been to the city of Philadelphia in the United States, they have there what's known as the Liberty Bell. And the words of Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 9 are imprinted upon it. The Jubilee took place every 50 years in ancient Israel. Slaves were set free, debts were cancelled, and land was left fallow. But then whenever we come into the New Testament, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ makes reference to the Jubilee. Because in Luke chapter 4 and verse 19, standing in the village synagogue in Nazareth, the Saviour speaks of the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord. What year is he referring to? Well, of course, he's referring to the year of Jubilee. The Lord Jesus Christ came to the synagogue in his home village of Nazareth and he came there as the Messiah, the one who had come to fulfill the Old Testament jubilee. Of course, the Saviour was anointed for his ministry as anyone who will serve God must be anointed The Lord Jesus Christ was not anointed with oil, but he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 that he was anointed and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost. It's very interesting whenever you think of the coronation of Her Majesty back 
on the 2nd of June 1953, it's very interesting to read about the anointing of of our gracious Queen. There was quite a debate before the coronation, and it surrounded whether the coronation should be televised. Mr. Churchill thought it was outrageous for the coronation to be televised. But after a year of preparation, it was finally t- the decision was finally taken that the coronation would be televised. And tens of, million, tens of millions of people tuned in to watch it. And um, they were glad that they were able to see a very, very special occasion such as the coronation of Her Majesty. The only part of the coronation that wasn't televised was the anointing. Every other part of that special occasion was televised to millions. But the anointing, the anointing of the Queen was the exception. It was a secret, hidden ceremony. Young Elizabeth was disrobed of her crimson cloak. Her jewellery was removed. She was seated in King Edward's chair, an ancient and simple throne. She was clothed in a dress of purest white. A golden canopy was held by four knights of the garter, which was suspended above and around the monarch. With the abbey almost silent, the Archbishop of Canterbury was handed the ampulla, a flask in the shape of an eagle wrought in solid gold, crafted in 1661 for the coronation of Charles II. A spoon was also passed to the Archbishop, a relic that had survived the Civil War, and from a flask was poured the anointing oil, made from a recipe, among other things, of oranges, roses, cinnamon, and musk. The Queen was anointed in the form of a cross on the palms of her hands, on the breast, and on the crown of her head. As the Archbishop of Canterbury anointed Her Majesty, he whispered the words, Be thy head anointed with holy oil, as kings, priests, and prophets were anointed. And as Solomon was anointed king by Zadok the priest, And Nathan the prophet, so be you anointed, blessed, and consecrated queen over the peoples, whom the Lord thy God hath given thee to rule and govern. Yes, her majesty was anointed for her role. But the king of kings was also anointed for his role, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and he too was anointed in secret. It was a hidden ceremony because it took place in eternity past, before the world had ever been created. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit met in a secret council back in eternity past, and the Son of God, the second person of the eternal Trinity, was anointed to be the Savior of the world. Her Majesty, of course, in her 2011 Christmas broadcast, spoke of the Saviour. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. 
And this is what she said. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. Let me ask you this evening, have you ever experienced divine forgiveness? Have you experienced the forgiveness that Jesus Christ alone can give? That is why he came into the world. And we are reminded in Mark chapter 2 that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. Mark those words, upon earth. When you and I leave this earth, it is too late to be forgiven. And we will either go to heaven or hell, and it will all depend on whether we are forgiven or not. And so Her Majesty spoke of the Saviour who had been anointed to be the Redeemer of the world. And that is why we are so proud of our gracious Queen, because she has steadfastly spoken of her Christian faith. In a day and generation when so many are ashamed to say that they are a Christian, that accusation certainly could never be leveled at Her Majesty. But let me return to the Jubilee. Jesus came into the world to fulfill the year of Jubilee. You see, the year of Jubilee was, first of all, about rest. It was a year of rest. The land was left uncultivated. When we think of the, the word rest, of course, we're reminded of what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. And by the way, these words were quoted by the archbishop at her coronation. Listen, listen to the words of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Hear what comfortable words our Saviour Christ saith unto all that truly turn to him. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises to give spiritual rest to those who turn to him. To those who are burdened down with a sense of their sinfulness and their unworthiness, Jesus offers rest. The psalmist spoke in Psalm 37 about resting in the Lord. And it is a wonderful thing to be resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hymn writer put it this way, Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb. But Jubilee 
was not only a year of rest, it was also a year of return. A year of return. We're told in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10 that people were to return to their family. They were to return to their possessions in this special 50th year. But of course we who are in God's house tonight to think about the gospel, we think about the greatest story ever told as it's referred to in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And you know how the story goes, how the father had uh, reared two sons. One stayed at home, but the other said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Which, by the way, was a dreadful insult to his father. More or less, what he was actually saying was, I wish you were dead. You see, the inheritance only was only received by the sons whenever the father passed away. And so the prodigal son, basically that's what he was saying. Dad, I wish you were dead. The father could have responded in a very angry way and could have thrown him out and said that you will never receive my inheritance. But he didn't. He divided his goods and gave the younger son his portion. And of course, the account in Luke's gospel tells us that the younger son, he uh, went to the far country. And that beautiful phrase that's only found in the authorized version, he wasted his substance with riotous living. And then he got so low that he was feeding the pigs. And again, the scriptures say that he fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. But then he came to himself, or we would say he came to his senses, and he realized that he was sitting there in the pigsty when all the while he could have been back home with his father in his father's house where there was bread enough and plenty to spare. And up he got and went home. He returned. The father could have chased him, but he didn't. You see, the Father reminds us of God, the Father who is full of love and compassion and who is waiting and longing for sinners to return to him. And the Father was looking for his wayward son every day and each day he would go out and would put his hand to his brow and would look out over the horizon and hope that perhaps today was the day that his prodigal son would return. And then one day, lo and behold, he sees the figure of his son in the distance. And the father could have turned and walked the other way and ignored him, but he didn't. The Bible tells us that he ran toward his son and he met him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. He welcomed him with open arms. I want to say tonight that if you will turn to Jesus Christ, he will welcome you with open arms. He will turn no one away. After all, he's the one who said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So that includes everybody and nobody is excluded. Am I speaking to someone this evening who needs to return 
to the Lord. Tonight's your opportunity. But then let me finish tonight by saying that the year of Jubilee was not only about rest and return, but it was also about release. Release. You see, the Lord Jesus in the synagogue of Nazareth spoke about the main reason why he had come into the world. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Folks, do you see the common theme? Release. Is there someone here tonight who needs to be released? You need to be set free from the captivity of your sins. Jesus came to release sinners. He came to set them free. And if you will acknowledge that you are a sinner then Jesus is willing and able to give you your freedom. Freedom is something that we cherish. That's why we're here tonight. We we cherish the, the religious and civil freedom that we have today. And as our own congregation often hear me say, freedom isn't free. Freedom costs. It costs to obtain and it costs to maintain. But the greatest kind of freedom is spiritual freedom. And Jesus Christ alone is able to give that kind of freedom. It's very interesting when you read Leviticus chapter 25, and I encourage you to do so. But in Leviticus chapter 25, it tells us that the year of Jubilee began on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. The day whenever the high priest of Israel went into the Holy of Holies, but he dare not go in without blood. And then he goes to make atonement there for the people. And it was an an annual custom, an annual feast. But it was only through the blood of an innocent substitute that the people could be released from their sins. And uh, three and a half thousand years later, it's still the same. The only way that you or I can be released from our sins is through the blood, not of a goat or a lamb or a bullock, but the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, whenever Her Majesty was leaving Westminster Abbey at the end of her coronation, the choir sung the following words, We therefore pray thee, help thy servants, whom thou hast redeemed with thy precious blood. It's only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ That we can be free from our sins. You see Jesus is the great emancipator. He's the great liberator. And he invites you to to call upon him tonight. To cry out to him for freedom. 
When Her Majesty was crowned, she was given what's known as the Crown Jewels. The Crown Jewels are worth four billion pounds. I didn't say million, I said four billion. But I want to tell you, brethren and friends, this evening, as we come to the end of our service, there is something of more value than the crown jewels. And I'm referring to the precious blood of Christ because it is worth more than the crown jewels. In fact, it is impossible to put a value on the precious blood of Christ. And it was the great reformer Martin Luther who in trying to describe the value of the Saviour's blood, he said that the blood of Jesus is worth more than heaven and earth. Do you want to be released? Are you burdened down with sin? The good news this evening is that the Lord Jesus Christ waits to set you free. Jubilee was all about slaves being set free. They were granted their freedom. The King of Kings waits tonight to grant you your freedom. Let us pray. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word, which is able to make us wise unto salvation. And we pray that you will bless the reading of it and the preaching of it to all of our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn on the order of service was written, of course, by the wife of the bishop of Londonderry, Mrs. Alexander, and this great hymn that we know so well, There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. We will stand together for the singing of this hymn and then we will remain standing at the conclusion and we will have the national anthem, please. <laughs>